I learned a lot about songwriting from him. He is way under. There's a reason Kenny Loggins was so good, and it's because Jimmy Messina was pulling the strings. I mean, I'm sure Kenny Loggins had some talent, but Jimmy Messina is a genius. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the Better Each Day podcast radio show with Bruce Hilliard. Today and every day, reaching out for innovative ideas in every way. Yeah, Today's show is yeah. brought to you by your future. It comes with a lifetime guarantee. Ooh, make the better stay now, baby. Singer, songwriter, and performing artist Ian Jones is releasing a new EP on October 22nd. Being a Pacific Northwest kind of guy, Ian calls his latest work Evergreens. Evergreens, what a great title. And that's fitting for 51-year-old Ian Jones, who you'll hear in this interview is young and evergreen, like his music. His EP drops October 22nd, and in honor of that occasion, Ian and band will be playing at the Tractor in Ballard, Washington on October 20th. The show starts at 8.30. You can pick up a physical copy of the EP and meet Ian at the show or check it out on your favorite streaming platform. Ian Jones here. How are you? Good. This is recorded, of course, so we can go off on any tangent that uh, we might. But, uh, <laughs> which I'm known Look to out. Do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find myself having to edit out really stupid things that I say. You know, I'm still learning because what happens is I'll do interviews, especially since this record has come out. And, you know, I just randomly just talk about whatever. I mean, I, and someone recorded what I said and like wrote it down word for word. And then when I saw what they wrote, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I sound like a jerk. And I, <laughs> it was it out was, of context. And the thing is, is they didn't, they didn't write down everything that I'd said. So it was kind of out of context. Yeah, yeah. So I, I need to be careful. Well, that's just a sign of a, <laughs> of a good journalist in, in 2021. That's what they do all day long just to get ratings. I know, right? Yeah. So you try well, to be... I doubt they're trying to get ratings interviewing me, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> you, you give them one of those Beatles interviews where they can't figure out what you're right. talking about. Where were you born? I, I got the feeling... I you... was born at Tacoma General Hospital. Oh, okay. So you're very local. Born in Tacoma, raised in Tacoma. Um, my, like I said, you know, we lived in, in South Parkland, um, and I ended up going to Keithley in Washington, um, Keithley junior high and Washington high school because I was a swimmer uh-huh. and Washington was the only team that had a, the only school that had a swimming program that was close. I mean, Franklin Pierce didn't have none of the other high schools around it. And of course, by the time I got to Washington high school, they dropped this swimming program because they were too cheap. And, um, and uh, so, but I ended up living there and I lived up in that kind of in the woods. And yeah, it was a fun, and I, you know, I grew up there, spent my whole childhood there. And then I moved up to Seattle to go to the University of Washington in 89. I graduated in 87, took a year off and was racing snowboards and goofing off. And then I uh, started at University of Washington. Well, I started at, um, I started at Pierce College down in Tacoma and I worked, I went through three years there, played basketball and, um, started getting into academics. I was a, when I transferred to UW, I was a physics math major. And, um, but then I got really sick and dropped out and started playing guitar. That's the rest of history. <laughs> Never went back. <laughs> I 
so different now than it was in the 70s. Yeah. And you can't just leave your kids at home with a record player. <laughs> <laughs> Better make some CPM. good music. Yeah, no, you'd never do that. <laughs> well, no. no, are you kidding me? Some of the neighbors would find out and there'd be lawyers and CPS and the cops and the SWAT teams would be there. Exactly. And, but back in the 70s, it was like, ah, I'm going to be out for a while here. Put on a record. And, uh, and I would listen to records. And I, we had a piano, and I watched my sister go through piano lessons and hate it, never touch the piano again. So my mom, my mom was like, well, none of you other kids are getting it. So, but I would sit there, and I would listen to, like, the Beatles and, like, Elton John. And I started playing piano by just, like, with the, with the lid of the piano closed. And then I graduated to opening the, <laughs> opening the lid and pretending I was playing. And then one day, I, like, my hands hit the keys and it just serendipitously was the same note that was on the record. Ew. And for some reason, I was like, oh, well, this can't be too hard then. So, but of <laughs> course, you'd, you'd want to work on a part on a song. So you'd have to get up, run over to the record oh, player, yeah. move the needle back. That's why you want to play guitar. Yeah, that piano is worthless. <laughs> right? yeah. you, you've got to play guitar for that and reason. Then, so, and then we had, we had uh, my mom got married. She was, uh, my stepdad had this old classical nylon string guitar that looking back was probably, it was probably strung higher than most slide guitars. I mean, the thing was like a bow and arrow. It was just a piece <laughs> of kindling too. It was just terrible. And um, <laughs> so I would play on it. And of course I didn't know that the strings were supposed to be tuned a certain way. And then a dear friend of mine, uh, Todd Matias, who is uh, still, I just talked to him the other day. He lives down in Portland. Um, him and his brother Jim had gone through all piano lessons and guitar lessons, and they played in church. And they were the cool kids to me, at least, because they could play guitar. And so um, I remember I would I spent um, my family's from the East Coast, so I would spend every summer back on the East Coast. And I was back in Maine one summer. My sister was going to University of Massachusetts, and she rolled up. I think it was '83. She rolled up and had the cassette of REM Fables of the Reconstruction, which I stole immediately from her. And she was looking for him. She was going back to Massachusetts. I was like, I don't know where it is. Totally lied. And I listened to that tape over and over again all summer long. That was my summer of 83. So, and I, of course I have the vinyl now. And I, I mean, REM holds a dear place in my heart. My daughter was born to the finest of ours. So, um, and so I came back and I was like, Oh man, you guys, this band REM and Todd was like, Oh no, I heard of them too. So we started to geek out on R.E.M. And then him and his brother, Jim, they started showing me on guitar. First, they were like, hey, dude, your guitar's not in tune. <laughs> so they're like, here's what it's supposed to be like this. So I got a little, one of those little, you know, little harmonica things. And you like tune your guitar. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, I, and then I realized uh, very quickly after playing with their guitars that my guitar was just not even, I mean, it was a, like a, something to look at and you couldn't even play it. So I ended up getting another guitar. Um, and it was like, Hey, show me some. So they showed me like an E major. They showed me basically the chords in the first position. And I was a, I was a closet guitar player. No one even knew I played. And I was kind of like that with piano too. No one ever knew that I played. I mean, Todd and Jim knew that I played, but I was never, I was never, and to this day, I'm never one of those guys who, if you're at a party, yeah, 
And someone's like, hey, a guitar, let me play you some songs. It's like, I, ah, never, I never. Hate that. No, I hate that. I hate that guy. more than anything. Oh. I would rather play the halftime at the Super Bowl, and I wouldn't be nervous. But to play in a party like that, I hate that for some reason. Because it's like, hey, everybody, well, and there's, and there's shut always... up and listen. I'm going to sing a song, you know? That's what it feels well, like. Well, and then they sing the song, and then they play it wrong. Like, they'll play a Beatles song. And for me, Beatles are off limits. They're like hollow ground, right? So <laughs> yeah. someone will pick it up. Don't even do it. it. They'll leave half the chords out, and you're like, dude, if you're going to play it, fucking play it right. You can't play Rocky Raccoon and leave out the A minor, for Christ's sake. A minor you know? seven, yeah. <laughs> right? It's like you can't, oh, just stop. So I was never that guy. Before I, I beat Towns in your guitar. <laughs> I know, right? Or Pete Towns in their guitar over their head. Exactly. Um, Right. So I never did that. In fact, people, some people, after a while, people were like, hey, Ian, play a song. I'm like, all right, no, I'm not doing that. Um, and of course, if I would have known, I probably could have had a girlfriend before I was 18. You know, I didn't even, I didn't even, it didn't even relate to me that <laughs> girls liked musicians. Yeah, they do. And, and it's funny because to this day, it's never been, I mean, they say sex and drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. And I've been in bands where some of the guys in the band, it's been about the sex and the drugs. <laughs> And that's why those bands never last. Exactly. Um, and but for me, it's always been about music. It's, it's I'm cursed by it. And and I I so I mean I literally grew up listening to records, uh, taught myself to play piano, listening to the Beatles and Elton John, and and I'd say Billy Joel, but that he's kind of off limits. That guy's a freak, freak piano player. <laughs> I hear um, that. Yeah. And uh, and then and then um, when I was I would move to Seattle and uh, I was working for a clothing company. I was half like their fit model guy because I was a basketball player. I mean, I was in really, really good shape. And I also was uh, – because I've always been like a carpenter, and I was also building like their um, – not sets, so to speak, their booths for their like their trade shows. Mm-hmm. So we would design – it was a crew, and we, we – it was really quickly. They figured out that I was good with a hammer. So when – and with design stuff. So when we would do these booths for these trade shows twice a year in, in Vegas, we would go do this thing called the Magic Convention. So – Turns out some of the guys that were on the crew were in a band. So I met this guy named Jeff, and we all went down to Vegas and, and worked together, and he was totally cool. And they were like, oh, we're in this band, and we're totally cool. And I thought they were cool. So I went to see him at Mo. You know, this was back before Numo. And I saw him at Mo, the old one up on Cap Hill. Mm. And I was blown away. I was like, oh my God, this guy is a little bit Keith Richards. He's a little bit Chuck Berry. He's a little bit. Um, Jimmy Page, swinging a Les Paul, playing. He was really good. He had this groove, but he was kind of sloppy but tight. And I love that. I hate when people play the exact same perfect over and over again. It drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I went up to him and I was like, hey, man. And I looked at him and I was like, you think, you know, we were talking. And he was like, oh, I need a job and all this stuff. And I was like, hey, why don't you come work with me? I was painting houses at the time. I go, come work with me. And, uh, I had, I had quit, actually, I'd quit the, the clothing company because I I'd just got enough jobs lined up painting. So I was painting these houses. So he came and was working with me. And one day I was like, and I, this was me totally manipulating the situation. I was like, hey, you think you could give me guitar lessons? And he was like, all right. So I went and I, and I, so we went down to his studio. It was up on Capitol Hill. And he, he, I showed him and he goes, dude, you don't need lessons. You just need to practice. I mean, I knew all the chords. And I knew that if you like bar chorded like an E major and slid it up, that was like an F or an F sharp or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew the concept. And he was like, he was, you don't need lessons. You just need to practice. So we just started to jam. 
and then one day he had band practice and I was there jamming with him and I, he goes, Hey, just stay and jam with us. And then, um, we were jamming and, uh, I don't, do you know who John Hyde is? He plays in like the one uppers and he's a pedal steel player now and plays guitar and as a songwriter, but also he, he's, he's awesome. Um, he, but he was at the time he was drumming in a band called rock, paper, scissors, RPS. And they were rehearsing after us, but he was the drummer in this band. And so we were kind of jamming. Of course, the lead singer, who was a total prima donna, didn't show up because he had issues. And John was like, man, we need more. We need some upbeat, like short pop songs. So I was like, all right. So then I went home that night and I wrote like three upbeat pop songs, not knowing that most people couldn't write songs really fast. And I just literally in, in one night, I wrote three. They were like three chords in the truth, baby. I mean, it was like fast, upbeat pop songs. So the next practice, yeah, yeah. we went back in and I was like, hey, I go, hey, check this out. So I started playing this one song and everyone was like, oh, that's cool. What's that? I'm like, oh, well, John said that we needed, you guys needed some pop songs. So I figured, I'd, and they're like, you wrote that? I go, yeah, I wrote a couple. And they kind of look at me like, you wrote a couple? So we went through all three of them and they were like, look, these are great. And on the last one, the lead singer comes in and he's like, the hell is this? What's he doing here? And what is that you're playing? And he, the hoppy walks out of the throws his arms up, walks out, I'm out. And that was the end of the band. So I was like, hmm, okay. And Jeff was like, let's start a band. So we started a band <laughs> called the Orange King. And I just started writing songs. And then I sat down, we got a, got a piano down there. And then it was just, we did, yeah, I just, that, and that was the beginning of it. I just started writing and writing and writing. This uh, it almost sounds scripted because in the first place, how you met up was kind of miraculous. But then you come in with original material and they're open to doing it because that's not always the case either. Well, no, we got to play covers because I already know those songs or something like that. And then the lead singer comes in and quits. So, you know, how could that all happen? It was just the planets aligned or something. Huh? Well, the lead singer was, you know, as it turns out, the lead singer's name was Will Van Spronson. I don't expect you to know that name, but I do you expect, I do expect you maybe to kind of remember about two years ago, there was a crazy guy from Vashon Island that went down and tried to shoot up an armory and got killed by the police. Yeah. That was Will. (laughs) (laughs) He was always kind of a conspiracy theorist. He was always kind of weird and wacky. And what I think happened is that I think he was also the least in shape person in the world. I mean, I was joking. Well, Will's not exactly Lance Armstrong. We call him Willie the Pencil because he was like six foot five and wet, maybe weighed a hundred pounds. The guy wore like twenty six waist Levi's, like twenty six forty fours. I mean, his legs were so long. And uh, so Willie the Pencil, and uh, <laughs> sounds like a POW. And he was, and, but and he and he, he but the thing is that what I what I think happened is I think he probably because he smoked and he was he used to be a junkie and. And uh, he cleaned up his act, but he, I mean, I heard all these stories about him. I don't think everyone on the island knew well, like he was a carpenter, but no one would hire him because he would get advanced checks and then never show up. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think what happened is I think he went to the doctor finally because something was wrong. And the doctor's like, like, dude, you probably have like stage four, like three different kinds of cancers and you got a minute to live. <laughs> That's what I think happened. So I think he went down and, and I don't know this for sure, but I talked to Jeff. Jeff stayed in touch with him. We all kind of stayed in touch. And I told Jeff that Jeff's like, you know what? No one really knows what your problem is, right? I doubt they did an autopsy on him after he got blown away by the cops. And we're like, oh, look, he died of, he was going to die of cancer anyway. Maybe this is, you know, they didn't care. They're like, this fucking idiot. They, you know, who shoots up an armory? Because <laughs> somebody that's suicidal. Yeah. Suicide by cop. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. he was the singer that stormed out. So. 
<laughs> I feel I never felt bad, but now after he died, I was like, oh man. <laughs> well, that's a very, very dark Hallmark movie right there. <laughs> I know, right? This <laughs> is <laughs> a midnight Hallmark. Who would we get to? Who would we get to star as Willie the Pencil? Though that's the question. They have to be tall and really skinny. Uh, uh, so. Paul Rubin. <laughs> <laughs> right, and they shoot him through a lens like a like a like a circus mirror that makes him look even skinnier and taller. <laughs> yeah, because I meant to do that. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, so that was that was that. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. That's a great a long story. answer, sorry. You want to introduce Evergreens? What is the song about? Um, so the song Evergreens was it was born in a fishing boat out in the mouth of the Puyallup River in the in the in the sound down in Tacoma. My my best friend uh, that I, I grew up with, um, Dave Bickford, who has also co authored a couple of songs with me. Um he was I was living in Santa Barbara and one of the things that sucked about moving was that I didn't have a fishing buddy or a hunting buddy. And so he would always call me with updates. And so he was calling me, and it was like the fifth time he had called me that that um, week with another story about another 25-pound salmon that he had caught. And I was actually at lunch at Red Robin in Santa Barbara watching fishing on ESPN or some sports channel, watching these guys catch salmon up in Alaska when my phone rings. And it's Dave again going, oh, dude, I just got another 27-pounder. And I was like, I was like, fuck this. So I, I go, I'll, I'll call you back. So I hung up, called my boss, and I said, I'm going to need a couple of days off. And he goes, yeah, no problem. So, and then I called the airline, and I booked a plane, like the flight, like the next day. And then I called Dave back, and I said, hey, pick me up at the airport. I'm coming up and fishing with you for like four days. And he was like, sweet, you know? So he picked, I, then I went back and had to tell my girlfriend at the time, by the way, I'm leaving. Um, and I, I flew in, and he, he had his boat, uh, moored at this uh, marina and uh, he we went from the airport straight to the marina got in the boat we fished that night went back to his house fished in the morning and then we took went home took a nap had lunch came back fished at night we fished every basically every waking hour for four days and didn't catch up oh jesus <laughs> right but one of the days we were sitting there and um so the mouth of the puyallup river you can fish out near point defiance it's called the clay banks but you can't fish by the mouth by the all the mills and stuff till august 1st because the fish, the fish, the salmon, like, spool, they don't go up the river until the first rain. And when the first rain comes and all that water washes out of the river, that's, like, the sign and all the fish motivate up the river, right? Mm. So they're milling around in the sound, eating and getting fat so they can go swim up the river. So they open it up in August, and we were out there sitting in this boat. And when, I don't know if you ever have done much fishing or hunting, but... Teeny bit. When you have a, when you have a buddy that you fish or hunt with, you go and you, you spend, and it's your, it's your favorite time of your life, but you don't, you don't say, you don't talk. You just sit there. But it's still super enjoyable. People that don't do that don't understand. Don't understand it. I think we're weird. <laughs> anyway, um, and then we're sitting there, we'll be all quiet, and all of a sudden, one of I don't know who said it first, but someone was like, um, 9 a.m., then another minute goes by, and the other one goes, sure, it'll feel like August. <laughs> and then we're sitting there, and then Dave looks at me and goes, dude, if that's not the first line of the I know. And I thought about it. I was like, fuck, you're right. Totally right. So it like, it stuck in my head. Right. So then, um, I went home dejected because I hadn't caught anything. And I was sitting in my studio, my studio, my garage in Santa Barbara studio. and I was playing <laughs> and I was playing, I was playing. And, um, and one of my friends, his name is Pat Milliken. He's no, he's no longer with us. He passed away. Um, he was a, 
prodigy guitar player. And at the time he had been doing these things in like dad, dad, he, he was a, a big, he was friends with and a big fan of Pierre Ben Susan, who's a, a fantastic finger style classical guitar player from, um, I think he's from Argentina or something like that. Anyway, or well, he's French. He's French. Um, and, uh, but he was, Pat was in dad, he was doing all this stuff in dad, dad, and he'd been bugging me. He's like, dude, you got to play in dad, dad, write a song in dad, dad. So I had the guitar tuned to dad, dad. And I was, I finally figured out this cool little progression. Yeah. That's just a detuning. And I was messing around. Yeah. And I, and I, and all of a sudden I, I just sang, I said, I sang at 9am. Sure. Don't feel like August. And it fit perfect. And within 15 minutes, the song was oh, done. Oh, what are those? Yeah, that's cool. And and it was and really what it was is like here I am. I'm sitting in Santa Barbara, right? And it's paradise. Beautiful, beautiful people. Beautiful food. Great art. Everything was great. My life was great. I didn't have any friends. No. All my friends were up here. And. You take it for granted when you live here. You take like the mountains and the water for granted. But when you move somewhere else and you can't see Marinier and you can't see the Cascades and the Olympics and you can't see the lakes and you can't see the sound, you start to miss it. Yep. Especially if you, if you hang out in those areas. I mean, I hung out on the water and I hung out in the mountains all the time. Yep, same. And I missed my friends and I missed my home even though I had taken a chance and moved to a new place that was exciting and everything was going great. And that's what that song's about. Where I want to be 
take a good look around and notice that my guard's gone down. Price of happiness ain't free. Just trying to make the next day a bit better. <laughs>